Hello and welcome to the Eastman's Predator Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Nimnick. Great to be back on the mic with you guys for another exciting episode. We got Mr. Laramie Sasquatch Miller. Now, if you guys follow the outdoor channel and, and watch hunting shows, you probably come across Laramie over the years uh, doing some mountain man stuff, you know, manly man stuff. So, um, you know, predator hunting is a big part of that. Trapping is a big part of uh, mountain man you know, living off the land kind of, kind of a culture. So, um, Larry's going to jump on here. We're going to talk about who knows mountain lion hunting, wolf hunting, trapping, you know, it, uh, it should be fun. So stand by for that. You know, on a side note, um, my coyote season finally came to an end and some of you guys are saying, well, coyote seasons, well, yeah, I have a self-regulated coyote season. I've talked about that before. You know, I got to move on here to my lawn care business, um, coaching baseball, um, but you know, it was one hell of a season. You know, I set a personal record. Uh, we killed 389 coyotes in five months, um, which was just phenomenal. You know, I got the chance to hunt with a lot of great guys, um, throughout the season, made a lot of new friends, got to spend some windshield time with a lot of old friends. Um, got to watch my boys continue to develop, got to spend some stands with, uh, some time with my dad and some other family out there. Um, you know, we dealt with some adversity, had a lot of snow, a lot more snow than normal. Um, but in some senses it made the coyote hunting tougher just with access, uh, for several months, but on the same hand, it actually made the coyote hunting a little bit better. Um, just because guys weren't able to get back into some spots and things that, uh, you know, normally see some pressure and things like that. So just a phenomenal season. Um, I'm all about setting records and breaking records. So now it gives me, uh, something to shoot for next year. Uh, which is obviously 400 coyotes. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I guess I'll be lucky if we kill 300 again next year, but uh, you never know. You never know. But I want to thank you guys for listening and making this the number one podcast out there. Um, I, I love your feedback. I appreciate the feedback. You know, those five-star reviews on Spotify go a long way. You know, leaving a quick review, whether you're on, you know, iTunes or whatever it may be, those all go a long way. Um, you know, we couldn't do this without sponsors, um, unfortunately. You know, they help pay the bills on this. They help um, pay pay everybody for their time to put this together, to bring you guys this this fantastic content that that hopefully you're enjoying. So, you know, we can't do it without them. Um, in, in this episode, you know, the sponsors are Black Rifle Coffee Company and Sig Sauer Optics. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time at Mini Marts. I mean, that's just part of the game. You know, I'm up early. We're out hunting coyotes all day, energy drinks, that kind of stuff. You know, maybe it's not the healthiest, but it is it is the realism of, of what I do, you know. And uh, at, at first, I wasn't a huge fan. I, I'm not a big coffee drinker like I've talked about before. Um, but I started drinking these these cold brews. Um, you know, the Caramel Vanilla Black Rifle Coffee Company drink they make. Um, I'm I starting to see it now pretty much everywhere. Walmart, you know, uh, any mini mart I stop at, you can find it. They got a mocha flavored one, a caramel vanilla one, um, you know. The, the caramel one's my favorite. Uh, the, the mocha one's more like a chocolate milk kind of a deal. Um, but uh, 300 milligrams of caffeine, which is what I'm wanting. I mean, that's why we're drinking these, right? We want the caffeine shot. We want the the boost of energy. Um, but, you know, maybe you're a coffee drinker. They have a pretty awesome coffee subscription. Um, I'd be lying if I told you what it was like because I don't really drink coffee. Um, but it sounds sounds pretty incredible. I see their booths, the Black Raffle Coffee Company. We have a gun store right down here in town that, that sells all their stuff. I'm sure probably anywhere you live, you're probably seeing Black Raffle Coffee 
uh, stuff around, you know. So bottom line is, man, they're supporting what I do. And in this day and age, it's hard to find a company that will stand behind predator hunting. Uh, you know, predator hunting is kind of on the cutting edge when it comes to the anti-hunting community. And people don't, you know, companies don't want to really stick their neck out there, man. So for a company that wants to support what I do and what this podcast is about, that says a lot about that company. So if you are a coffee person looking for something new, looking for a coffee subscription, maybe looking for those cold brews at the mini Mart, Hey, check them out, man. You can go to their, their website, which is black raffle coffee and see uh, everything that they have to offer. Now with SIG optics, um, you know, I talk a lot about the different optics I use, whether it's a Sierra six BDX rifle scope, you know, I run their Romeo three XL red dot scope, you know, the kilo, you know, 3000 range finding binos are, are tits, man. They are top notch. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about the BDX system itself. You know, I think there's some confusion there. Maybe people aren't really understanding how that all works. Um, you know, and, it, and it's a smooth system. So essentially any scope or any binos that you see, you see from the SIG line that has BDX, um, that means ballistic data exchange. And what that does is it's a ballistic data exchange through Bluetooth. So the very first thing you do is you download the app to your phone. Now, this app will allow you to enter a ballistic profile for the rifle you're shooting. So for example, the 223 I'm shooting, I'll go through and enter the ballistic data, you know, my muzzle velocity, the height of my scope to my barrel, the ballistic coefficient of the bullet I'm shooting, the average elevation, the average temperature. Uh, there's a few other things I'll enter through there. Now, through the Bluetooth, I'll turn the Bluetooth on my phone. I actually hit a button on my rangefinder binoculars, my Kilo 3000s, and it transmits that signal over to my rangefinder binoculars. Now, it downloads that ballistic profile into my, into my bino. So at that point, I don't need my phone ever again for anything. Now, I essentially connect my scope to my binoculars through that Bluetooth option. And really, all that is is me flipping a switch on the side of my scope, which turns on my Bluetooth, and that ballistic profile now is connected into the scope and my rangefinder binoculars. So essentially now that data is entered in there. And when it comes time for taking a longer shot, you know, coyotes don't stand there very long. So essentially now all I have to do, if I have a coyote that checks up at three, 400 yards, maybe a coyote's leaving and I see a coyote at three, four, 500 yards. I simply reach down, turn my scope on, which is just a turn of a dial over on the left side of the scope, turn the scope on. You'll see the blue light come on. I pull my range finding binoculars up, I shoot a range, and instantly, as I shoot that range in my in my binos, the holdover dot comes up on the reticle in my scope. It's that quick. That's how simple it is. Now, the great part about that is, is if you go out to the range and spend time shooting, and you see that, you know, it's off just a little bit, I can go back into the ballistic profile on my app and I can tweak it a little bit. I can add or subtract a little muzzle velocity. I can manipulate it a little bit so that now I can start hitting those targets at four or 500 yards. If for some reason, you know, it's not completely lined up, but it allows you the, the ability to manipulate that a little bit. So, you know, for me, when it comes to shooting fast at a little bit longer ranges, you know, just a phenomenal system, a system that, uh, you know, SIG has developed with the BDX. So if you're looking uh, looking to maybe purchase new scopes, new optics, looking at something different, um, you can head over to SIGOptics.com and see everything that they have to offer. Yeah. Well, Laramie, welcome to the podcast, man. You're the first Sasquatch I've ever had on. So congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I'm glad to be here. You know, I was, do, I was doing a little research and I'm like, how in the hell did he get the name like Sasquatch? And then I come across six foot seven. I said, oh, that, that explains it. 
<laughs> well, you ought, you ought to hear a funny story. So I played college football and played football for a long time, and they used to call me the Vanilla Gorilla. <laughs> and so vanilla. it went from, I mean, because I was 6'6", 305 pounds, you know, and uh, then it went and I started guiding full time. And they started calling me Sasquatch, and it's just stuck for the last 20-some years. Damn, I wish they'd have kept Vanilla Gorilla, man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty funny. A couple of a couple of the people that used to call me that back in the day, they still they'll reach out and you know tell me Vanilla Gorilla is still way better than Sasquatch. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. So, so for those that don't know you, let's start. Let's jump in your background a little bit. You know, you've been on the Outdoor Channel. You know, the Hunting Channels for a long time. You know, with with shows. I'm sure that's probably anybody listening to this podcast is probably familiar with your name and what you do, but yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit of your background, you know, with, uh, with mountain manning, I guess, if that's how you would say that, uh, you know, fur trapping, uh, you know, all the, all the things that's how you kind of how you got your start. Well, you know, my, so my uncles, um, back in the eighties, late seventies, eighties and early nineties used to film VHS tapes. Um, they were out of Colorado and, all backcountry horseback. Um, they actually went and did one, did a, a film in Russia um, by Lake oh, Baikal wow. in the middle of nowhere. So everybody, my uncle was known as the mountain rat. And, uh, you know, as a kid, my dad guided for my uncle. So I was around hunting camp all the time. And, you know, I grew up in, in the hunting world. You know, it's been my life since I was born long before me. I mean, my uncle, I still have an uncle that still owns an outfitting business. Uh, the two uncles that owned that one actually passed away in a plane crash in 1995 scouting for elk. Um, but since then, you know, as a kid, I used to watch all, all their videos and I was on a couple of them. And, I, you know, like I said, I was in camp. So my love for the outdoors and for just that mountain man, that traditional way of life started very, very young. And, you know, so I did that. I kind of got into football mode for a little while, but once I got done, with college and playing football, I was working in the oil fields and my grandpa, he comes up to me and he could just tell I wasn't, it wasn't what I was meant to do, you know? And he, uh, he looked at me and he said, slammer, if you do what you truly enjoy, you don't work a day in your life. And I put my two weeks in and I went and started running an outfitting business up, uh, around Gunnison, Colorado. And lo and behold, I guided for a, a TV show that was on the verse versus network back then which is nbc sports now um and trevor gowdy was the producer of it and i guided for an elk hunt got lucky called this elk all the way from the top of the hill come down the mountain the guy shot it at 30 yards you know picture perfect tv and uh two weeks later i get a phone call from trevor and his first words he said laramie nice to meet you my name's trevor gowdy i'm calling you because i want to i have an offer i hope you can't refuse <laughs> and you know i'm a 23 year old kid really what's that he said i want i want you to come up and take over as my co-host and the show then was called quest for the one and uh you know of course 23 years old hunting is my life i oh, said damn straight heck yeah so i went <laughs> i started doing that um i did that for a couple of years co-hosted that and then I went to Jeff Wayne, who was the uh, president of the Outdoor Channel, and I walked up to him at SHOT Show and I said, Jeff, I just want to introduce myself. I, I said, I have an idea for a new show and, you know, I'd love to talk to you about it. And I said, I, before you say anything or, you know, do anything, I want 
I want you to go poll all your viewers. And if Jeremiah Johnson isn't in the top 10 best shows or favorite shows, favorite movies, you don't ever have to talk to me again. I said, but if it is, Jeff, I am the modern day Jeremiah Johnson. And I walked out. You know, I was scared to death. I didn't. I had I had a contract the next week for Sasquatch Mountain Man, which was my first uh, solo show that I did. Um, I had a contract the next week and been filming Mountain Man stuff ever since. That's crazy, man. You know, it's 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 always weird to me, you know, being around guys like yourself for the last handful of years, just, you know, just the randomness sometimes of, of how guys, there was really no plan. It just all of a sudden, here, it, it seems like if you tried to plan that, it wouldn't happen, but. Oh, you know. never, never, you know, guys, especially guys, you know, or normal guys like us that don't have the backing and don't have the, you know, pockets full of cash to go. I mean, it's expensive to do a TV show. People don't oh, realize sure, how much yeah. it costs. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't have that budget up front to go do it, you need some help. Well, getting that help is, you know, and that's why I never intended to do TV. I don't, I don't do TV because I want to be on TV. I do it because I love to be outside and hunting and making a living that way is everything to me. Yep, you know, it's yep. the way of life and it's just crazy. You put yourself in position, something will happen. I, I see you're doing some stuff on YouTube now. Are you starting to see kind of more of a transition now from traditional outdoor channel stuff kind of more towards the the streaming online you know it's so hard nowadays to make a living on the tv side just because it's so saturated you guys so i mean everybody's got a youtube channel everybody's got uh social media you know and so they're going to these companies back 10 years ago doing tv you could go to these companies and get you know dollars big money yep yep to, you know, they were in, willing to invest because you didn't have all the platforms that they could spread it out on. You know, and nowadays, they, these companies can spread it out everywhere. So why are they going to pay you $60,000 to go do something? You know, they're, it, it's not smart business to them. So a lot of, I mean, you see everything is tr transitioning to your YouTube, your Instagram platforms, um, you know, your, your linear instead of you know, digital or your digital instead of linear TV. It's just not the same as it used to be. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I, yeah, I get some messages from time to time and it's usually younger kids, you know, that are probably in their mid mid twenties that are like, man, I, I would love to make hunting my life, you know, and make a living hunting, filming a show or something like that. And that's usually my answer. I'm like, to be honest with you, man, it's it. I don't think it's something you can plan for. It's like, it, you kind of have to be in the right place, at the right time. You have to stumble into it. But above all, you just got to be really good at what you do, be passionate about what you do, and just do it. And then if the cards fall that way and somebody likes what you're doing and, you know, you might have an opportunity someday to to get in front of the camera and do some stuff like that. Well, and that's the thing. I get asked it all the time. You know, how, how do I get into that? And, you know, the honest thing is there's so many factors. You know, for one, you got to be different. You know, figure out there is a million hunting shows and hunting you know people that want to have a hunting show out there so how are you going to be different because yep. i'm sorry but we've seen things die in any and every way you possibly <laughs> yeah. can imagine you know so so a hunting show isn't feasible anymore yes people love to watch it but you're not going to get the dollars you're not going to make a living doing it unless you can set yourself apart and you know that's the hardest thing and 
you know, and people, they tell me, oh, you know, you're lucky. I wish I had your lifestyle. Well, you got to be willing to take that chance. I mean, I left a $90,000 a year job in the oil field as a 23 year old man to go pursue my dream to make $20,000 a year. You know, not very many people are going to do that and take that chance and risk. But for me, you know, it's way of life. Monetary stuff doesn't matter to me as much. I mean, hell, I'm a mountain man. I go out and live (laughs) off of nothing, but you know, of course my wife and my kids need more, but yeah, (laughs) you know, it's, it's a, it's a lifestyle. You're not going to, the days of getting rich off of the hunting TV shows and stuff like that and being the Michael Waddell's and the Jim Shockey's are gone. Yeah, you know, I agree. That's, that's few and far between. You got 2% of the industry that makes that kind of money. The rest of us, it's a job and it's a grind. And it's, you know, you're not going to, you know, get rich and make a bunch of money. You know, if that's what you want, go find something else. <laughs> go to school, <laughs> go do something else. Well, you hit it on the head, man. To me, it's an all-in thing. It's not something that I don't think you can just kind of ease into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, example, I've talked about it on the podcast before. You know, when I got out of the Marine Corps back in 2001, I was in college. You know, I was looking for a summer job, so I started up a lawn care business. And by the time I graduated college, I had built up this lawn care business, right? Well, luckily for me, since about 2003 running this lawn care business, I've had the winners completely open. You know, so it's allowed me the chance for the last 20 years to hunt coyotes. Shit, you know, 60, 70 days a winter. The average guy, there's just no possible way, you know, that you can do that. So, uh, you know, that was kind of how I stumbled into it. It was kind of an all in thing for me, you know. Um, Yeah. So it's just, it's unique. You know, I think everybody wants to do it, wants to be that. But uh, I think they don't understand that. Yeah. I mean, it's either all or nothing. Yeah. Well, they don't understand the work that goes into it. You think of hunting you know, the hours and most people go hunting, they'll go on a, you know, four day hunting trip or they'll go hunting in the weekends or you think of the time that we put in every day, you know, you're up super early like me. I mean, I hunt eight, nine months out of the year, you know, and you're up three, four o'clock every morning. You don't go to bed till 10, 11 o'clock. If that, you know, so you don't get much sleep and then physically, I mean, the physical side of things, you got to be in shape, especially the Western hunting and the stuff that I do. I mean, like we put more hours in and do more work in a week than most people do in a month at their normal <laughs> <Yeah>. job, <laughs> you know? So it's not, if you want to be successful at it, you've got to push, you've got to do those types of things. And, you know, most people be honest, just don't have that drive in them to go that long. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's a unique thing. I don't know. I just tell everybody, you know, Find your own, man. I mean, that's the thing. You know, it's just, it seems like there's a lot of copycat stuff nowadays. Just, mm-hmm. just do you, man. I, you know, if it works out, you know, I mean, bottom line, go hunt. If you end up getting a hunting show someday, you get on TV, you make a YouTube channel, whatever. That's awesome. But you know, do you be happy and and see what happens. You know. Well, exactly. I mean, and that's that's what you got to do. Just go out, give it your all. Like I've always said, you you never fail unless you quit trying. Just go out there and put your all in and. Like you said, dude, you know, you don't need to copy anybody. You need to be that certain, you know, person. Be you. Be whoever you want to be and whoever you see yourself as. Everything else will fall in. Heck, yeah. So before we jumped on this podcast, we were visiting on the phone a little bit. You'd you'd mentioned a little bit about uh, doing some assistant government trapping back in the day before you got going. I, I want to hear about that. Yeah, so a good friend of mine, he's a government trapper in southern Colorado for years. Um, 
has been for the last, what, 25, 30 years. And so for three or four years there, um, I would help him out and assist him, you know, cause you always got, especially with all the people moving in, you got people, Oh, there's a raccoons at my house or the coyotes are after my sheep or, <laughs> you know, mountain lions killed my goats or bear killed my goats. And, you know, so I used to go help not just with the trap line, but running dogs too. So, you know, we'd have a, for instance, one time we had a bear come in and killed a couple of goats. And so we take the dogs in there and we got to go tree the bear and, you know, we'll either euthanize it or we'll, um, dart it and move it. Yeah. Um, but you work with the forest service on that and man, that was fun. You know, you get to see, and the fact that I got to run dogs year round all the time, you know, that was awesome too. So it helped me with my, my lion hunting side of things and, you know, bear hunting, which now in Montana, we can run bears with dogs again. So, you know, it's awesome Nice. You know, to have that background and be able to fall back on that. Did you ever get to do any aerial gunning with those guys? Or did you not have a lot of coyote problem? Was it more, was it more bigger stuff? Predator, no. Yeah. A lot of coyote yeah, problems. We, didn't, we don't have it. Yeah, we don't have a ton of coyote problems. You know, mo most of the stuff we did was beaver trapping because beavers oh, really? come in and just wreak havoc. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, you're taking beavers out of city limits and, you know, these big ranchers, it's just damming up everywhere and stopping the water flow. So we did a lot of beaver trapping and then, um, you know, bears have become a huge problem. So we did a lot of bear towards the end in like the last few years. I know he's done a ton of bear stuff because the bears in Colorado have just gotten outrageous. Is, is that where you kind of got your start in trapping or had you been trapping quite a bit, you know, earlier than that? I had trapped a little bit growing up, you know, my dad trapped as a young man. Um, and so he had taught me a little bit, but I didn't, I wasn't knowledgeable. You know, I'd gone out and failed quite a bit on my own. And then, uh, I met up with Clayton and he, you know, he kind of showed me the ropes and got me started the right way into trapping, you know, so I owe, I owe me getting into trapping to him. Nice. Do you remember your first coyote you've ever killed? Oh yeah. I got to hear the story. That's kind of a thing I do. All my guests, they got to tell me about your first, whether it was called in or <laughs> shot out the truck window or, you know, whatever. It, it may have been. I, I got to hear the first old. coyote story. <laughs> I was eight years old. I grew up on a cattle ranch and, uh, I had this old 243 that me and my dad were out feeding cows and, uh, you know, I'm eight years old jumping out of the passenger, throwing bells off. And here's this coyote comes running through the field. My dad grabbed that gun, shoot that coyote. So, you know, here I am eight years old, hanging out the window of this old Dodge pickup truck and this coyote's running and my dad, shoot him, shoot him, you know, and he's running the whole time. And I'm like, I don't want to shoot at him running. And then my dad whistled and got him stopped and, Luckily, I made a good shot and dropped him right there, but <laughs> nice. that was the first coyote I ever killed. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> and, and you said before, you know, you used to do some, you know, quite a bit of coyote hunting, coyote calling mm -hmm. before you kind of got busy with what you're doing yep. now. What, uh, was that primarily down in Colorado where you did a lot of that or I'd go, a little I'd go to Colorado. I'd go Northern New Mexico. Cause I grew up right on the border of New Mexico, Colorado. So you know, you go just south of where I grew up and there's coyote, I mean, it's coyote Mecca down there on the Navajo reservation. You used to, oh, be able yeah. to get permits to go out there and coyote hunt. And they used to have the worlds down there for a couple of years down in, uh, yeah, to Berlin, New Mexico and then Cortez had yep. it. Yep. 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 Yeah. So I grew up in Durango. Okay. Yeah. Which is, yeah, right there by Cortez. And so, 
you know, we used to go down there coyote hunting all the time. You know, crazy thing is I spent as a growing up as a kid, I spent many a summers at Mesa Verde national park. Really? My grandma was a park Uh-oh. ranger. My, my grandpa was on the maintenance crew there. So yeah, pretty familiar I with tell that. You what, that's, yeah. That's one place that people need to go visit. If you're driving through that, it is so amazing to see what people, you know, the determination to build something like that. Can you imagine? Oh shit. Yeah. I mean, these are these rock cliff faces, man. These entire yeah. cities. Exactly. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, a whole little town inside a, a cave that people chiseled out like it's just crazy yeah i remember doing the tour you know there's one of those cliff dwellings where just to get to it you got to climb down this like 50 foot ladder just uh-huh. i'm like how the hell are these people getting in and out of there you know it was crazy yeah we used <laughs> to go on a field trip there every year for the for school oh nice they, yeah they'd take us over to mesa verde <clears throat> yeah that's cool that's cool country i i've never been back down in there to hunt coyotes i've been down to you know, a little bit down into New Mexico and kind of that, you know, Navajo area you've talked about, but I've always kind of wanted to go back there, but a few of the guys I've talked to, you know, the coyote densities aren't real crazy, you know, down there. They're not what they used to be, but you know what is? Bobcats. Oh, and really? You get down there on the mesas, there is a ton of bobcats running around. I was just down there cat hunting, oh, about three weeks, well, a month ago now, I was down, I was hunting um, all that stuff outside of Farmington there, north. And uh, my cousin had a tag, so I went down there to run with him. And, man, the bobcats everywhere. When you guys are running lions like that, do it, it, when you drop the dogs on a lion track, do occasionally they they get off course on a on a bobcat track and tree or not? Or rarely, not ever, cause, rarely ever because bobcats have less scent, right? So the dogs are going to go wherever the most scent is. Gotcha. You know, there's been a few times where – I've come up and, you know, they must've run right across a bobcat and got it right in the tree, you know, and they got a bobcat tree instead yeah, of a cat. Yeah. I've had that happen a few times, but it doesn't happen very often. Unless you put them on that bobcat, you know, they're going to try to find that lion. Do you ever specifically go run just for bobcats? Oh yeah. 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 When I lived down in Colorado, I mean, I did it all the time. It's harder up here in Montana because we have different quotas and, you know, the quotas are, they fill up more. And we don't have as many bobcats, but that, you know, Northern New Mexico, Southern Colorado country is just loaded up with bobcats. I used to go, I mean, I used to catch 20 bobcats a year with my dogs. Nice. Were those always pretty good cats as far as like fur market for value wise down? In they that are, country? they got a lot of blue in them. Yeah. And cats down there have a lot of blue in them. So they used to, they used to bring big money. I mean, I was blown away because the bobcat, market has gone crazy here lately it, it goes up and then down and this year it's up big time you see i mean there's one sold for like 1600 dollars the other day yeah somebody sent me uh actually just last night i got a message um from a guy that had some stuff up at that fur auction he sent me the the screenshot you know of the uh, results on that auction from fur harvesters up there let me see what yeah bobcats they went for, yeah, westerns. They averaged three hundred and two bucks, you know, which, which is, is pretty good, good compared to what it's been. Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. I think the top was nine hundred bucks. Um, so well, yeah. there was one. So they just had a sale in Idaho two weeks ago, I think, that the average was like six hundred and something dollars, and the top the top cat brought almost fifteen hundred dollars at that Idaho sale. Wow, per sale. Damn. Yeah. So did you always put up all your own cats? Yep. 
Yep. Do all I that. used to, yeah, I used to sell them. I used to go catch all them cats and then I'd sell them. You know, I put myself through a long time of the beginning of my career catching bobcats and finding horns. You yeah, know, and yeah. I'd sell, I'd make ten, fifteen thousand dollars finding horns in the spring, and then you know, in the winter, I'd make another, you know, ten grand going and catching bobcats. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you're a single young man, I mean, that's a pretty good little <laughs> chunk of change for the winter and spring. Heck yeah. <laughs> I've always heard, you know, I've never put up a bobcat. You know, the guys I know do that. That's like a meticulous thing. Like there's a, there's an art, like putting, oh, yeah. you know, putting them up. So they're presentable, you know, did you kind of get a knack for that by the time it was all done putting up cats? Kind of yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. This is, this is the way it should be done. Yep. Well, and their, their hide is so stretchy and it's easy to cut. And, you know, so <clears throat> flushing them out is probably the toughest thing to get them good and then you know combing the hide and putting them upright to where they dry right is a whole different i mean it it, it takes and you can't tell somebody how to do it i mean they just you, they have to be there with you or they have to learn it on their own because it's and every bobcat's different they're like us i mean they got different calyx different ways and, yeah yeah you know yeah. So, so combing them out and everything is <laughs> you know being able to prepare them is a big deal oh that's crazy you know one one thing I'm always curious about, you know, the, the mountain man mentality, like taking this fur and making it into stuff. I mean, what do you do this? Oh yeah. So, so I, like, what's, what's like the best, I mean, like, it, you know, I, I see a lot of stuff made out of beaver. Um, you know, I mean, what, what's like, beaver is easy to work with. Is that, is that why, or just be, yeah. is that the main reason it's, you see it in a lot of garments and things? Well, it's easy to work with, you know, the hair isn't quite as long. Um, you know, it's got that waterproof effect to it, you know, the beaver hide and hair. Um, you know, I love, I went through a stage in my life to where I wanted to be 100% self-sufficient. Like I wanted to be able to make my own clothes, do everything to where I didn't need the system. Not one bit. I could go live by myself for as long as I wanted, you know? So I went through a phase right when I started filming and actually before I started filming, I was living in a wall tent and I wanted to you know, so I started brain tanning. I started making buckskins. You know, my grandpa's, he's a leather worker by trade. So he taught me the sewing and he'd made buckskins and stuff, but he'd never brain tanned, never done anything like that. So I, you know, I got this idea and I just went and started doing it. And it took me a while to get, get it right. But, you know, it's so rewarding. For instance, you go kill yourself a deer and you go brain tan to hide and then you make a shirt out of it or you make you know a vest or pants or and being able to wear that and and knowing that man i don't need to store i can go make my own clothes i can find my own food i can do you know i can do all this on my own i don't need that system hey guys sorry to interrupt the podcast but i need to take a minute to tell you about the easiest way in the world to get a suppressor nowadays. And that's to go to silencercentral.com. You know, I got into the silencer suppressor game back in 2008. And back then it was a lot of headache. It was a lot of hoops to jump through. I had to go find a gun dealer in my home state. Then I had to take that form four down to the police station and get fingerprints. And I had to run over to Walgreens and get a passport photo. Then I had to take it all back and make sure I had it filled out right. And then the gun dealer would send it off. And then when the suppressor came in, I'd have to go back over there and get the, the suppressor picked up. Well, Silencer Central is changing the game because now you can do everything through their website. 
Not only that, they'll set up a free NFA gun trust for you to put this all in. So it's that simple. You jump on the website, you look through their line of suppressors that you want. Maybe you want something lightweight, like their new banished backcountry suppressor. Uh, full line of suppressors that you can pick from. You pick your suppressor, you order it, you add your tax stamp to that. They'll even let you put it on an easy payment plan. Spread that over the course of uh, eight or nine months while we're waiting on the ATF to, to approve our paperwork. We can pay that off. And then once all that paperwork comes back, the best thing about it, they'll ship that suppressor right to your door. So hopefully you're in the suppressor game already, but if you're not, you're missing out. It's time to get in the game. So head on over to silencercenter.com and see how easy it is to get your hands on a suppressor. You know, to survive. And it was really cool. You know, and I spent 15 years of my life just dedicated to that. And then you found a wife and you decided you didn't need all that? <laughs> well, I still try to do it, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Then I found a wife and she decided she didn't need oh. all that. <laughs> so that brain tanning thing is crazy to me. You know, you and I were talking about the, that TV show alone. And you know the I think it was season eight winter Roland. You know, you're gonna be you're gonna be doing some filming and you do some work with Roland through some some stuff you're doing. And and mm -hmm. I that was the first time I'd ever seen anybody do that. So is that's just straight up brain. They're not mixing that with anything. They're just taking the brain and, and smearing it you across it the, water. the hide. You mix it with water. And you know, I sit here and I'm like, man, these our ancestors, the fact that they figured out how to tan these hides. I mean, you got like some yeah, of the who's the first dude that said, I'm going to crack open the skull and I'm going to smear <laughs> brain all over this uh, hide, you know? <laughs> I mean, what would you, like, how how do you even think that? Like, if that's not God's intuition, I don't know what is. Because <laughs> yeah. how else are you going to sit there and think, I'm going to crack this thing's brain open, spread it on the hide, and stretch it for a day yeah. constantly, and it, it's going to be pliable and turn into leather? Like, how... <laughs> uh yeah that must have been some good peyote or something <laughs> to figure that out <laughs> yeah that's that's <laughs> wild man <clears throat> so when you're when you're making like i i see these beaver gloves like for cold weather is that like the? i mean i'm always bitching because man when i'm trying to coyote hunt in the cold you know i'm trying to I'm a big electronics guy, so I'm running a remote, right? My thumb's like right now, my thumb is like in the best shape of my life right now since I've been pushing them <laughs> buttons for the last five months, you know, but my, my hands, you know, so I'm always trying to find gloves, but then I see these shows and these guys have these beaver mittens and I'm like, damn, those must be super warm. Beaver and believe it or not, the warmest that I've ever used is wolf hide. That hair on a wolf, for some reason, it'll cut the wind, it cuts everything, but wolf and beaver... The reason they use beaver a lot is because of the waterproof effect. You know, beaver hide oh, yeah. is so, yeah. you know, so good in wet weather. Um, but, yeah, it's amazing. When you put a pair of good beaver skin gloves on or beaver hide gloves or good wolf hide gloves, there's a reason, you know, the Inuits up in Alaska, they'll use them wolf hide gloves, and they'll ride snowmobiles around when it's 60 below, and their hands don't get cold. You know, hmm. It's amazing what... You know, the animal, we've got all this technology, and that's another thing I laugh at. We got all this technology, and granted, it makes our life easier a lot of the times. But I still, you know, I got people that laugh at me. And I remember I don't, Cole Kramer, he guides in Alaska and, you know, has done a lot of stuff. Cole Kramer one day, he was worried about me. He's like, man, you can't go to Alaska and in buffskins. He's like, you're going to die. And I said, why? He said, because they won't work. 
And I just giggled at him. I'm like, how do you think people have survived for thousands of years? Like those buckskins and animal hides, there's a reason the animals live in that shit. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it's the best. Like you take buckskins and if you waterproof them right, that's the best rain gear and wind gear you will ever put on your body. You know, it, it's amazing. You'll stay so much warmer. You can put all the fleece, all the other stuff on you want. But a good pair of buckskins that's made right and waterproofed right, I'll take it over any of the new gear. What is the process that you go through to, to waterproof that buckskin? Well, so the biggest thing, so when you tan it, when you brain tan it, so I'll go through, so brain tanning, you flush the hide really good, you mash up the brains and put it in some water, and they say every animal has enough brain to tan its own hide. It's like the Indian mm -hmm. wise tale, which... I haven't found it to be not true yet. Like how much water? Um, Just enough to make it a little mushy, kind of like a paste almost? So if you're doing like a deer hide, yeah, you want a, a little soupier than a paste. But like you still want it sticky, to not but to you run don't off want there. it watery. Yeah. yeah. Um, usually a gallon of water to like a deer brain. Okay. And you warm, you warm it up to where it's lukewarm. You don't want to cook the brain. But then like the best way is put it in a blender, blend it up real good. And then you got your, you know, your paste that's, I mean, it's soupy, but not water. And then you rub it on that hide and you just stretch it and you'll stretch it for like, it's physical. I mean, you're going to stretch it for a full day. You're, like you mean you're stretch, gonna, you're just taking your arms and just like pulling it. Like, well, just... and you see a lot of guys, like they'll hang, they'll hang a, a cable or, you know, they'll put it on, you see people put it on the square and they'll have the deer hide stretched okay, out yep, in a I've wood seen that. square and then they're just. They're pushing it. And what they're doing is they're just trying to stretch that hide apart so the brain can penetrate inside the hide oh, and get in sense. between all those little follicles. Yeah. And then, you know, once it does, when it dries, brain has so much oil in it that it, uh, I mean, your hands will be the softest they've ever been in your life when you're brain tanning. <laughs> <laughs> but they have so Somebody much oil. Somebody market that, that on, the, on the. I'm telling you. Can you imagine <laughs> if some city girl found out that. Yeah. She had she had elk brain in her, in her <laughs> lotion, in her face wash. But you stretch it real good, and it becomes pliable, and then it won't shrink. But then to waterproof it and to keep it that way, you have to smoke it afterwards. And so you know you see different colors of of hides. Well, that depends on what kind of wood and how long they smoke that hide afterwards. You know because the smoke oh, is what causes yeah it causes a color and then it seals everything helps waterproof it. Then after that, you put a waterproofer on, which I love bear fat. You know, I'll render down bear fat and I'll put bear fat on all my buckskins. I'll put it on my saddles, any leather product. I put it on my boots. It's the best waterproofing out there. You know, it's better than mink oil. It's better than any of that other stuff. You get bear fat and then, I'll, you know, I'll wipe it down with bear fat and get it nice and covered. And I'll do that every two to three years. Damn. So when you're smoking it, you're talking about just taking that, you get your fire going and then you're just putting it up above the fire. So the smoke's just hitting it. I mean, that's. Yeah. You don't want a actual, like you want it smoking. So you use punky wood, old rotten wood. It's not flames. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something that's going to smoke really good. Cause you don't want to cook that hide. If you get it too hot, it'll cook. And then your hide's toast, but you want to smoke it real good. And yeah. Like you'll see, you know, if you watch any of the old movies or anything and they'll have a hide that's kind of you know, funneled over the top of a smoking fire. And that's what they're doing is they're smoking it. They used to hang them in their teepees. You know, they'd hang them all around a teepee and they'd start a fire in there and just let it smoke. 
and it, you know, permeates the whole hide. And, you know, if you use cedar, you're going to get a redder tint. You use pine, you're going to get that, you know, browner tint. You know, if you use real sappy pine like Ponderosa, you're going to get a real, like, mix between that reddish brown and, you know, light buckskin color. It's an That's art. Yeah, once again, that's one of those things like, who the hell is the first person to say, I'm going to hang this thing above the fire and let some smoke hit it? And yep. I mean, the bear fat it's thing, crazy. that thing makes sense to me. Like, okay, yeah, that's kind of oily. And, you know, just mm -hmm. you see the water repel off of it, you know, but yeah, that's, that's wild, man. It is. I mean, you think like our ancestors, well, you look at just history. I mean, building the pyramids, like we were just talking Mesa Verde, like, we consider ourselves smart nowadays. We're not really. <laughs> no. I mean, you think, you think of what they accomplished with nothing and, you know, creating all this stuff. It's amazing to me. That's wild. So do you still use a damn muzzleloader quite a bit then? Like I do. I don't hunt not, with the muzzleloader. I don't hunt with the muzzleloader as much as I used to. I, I kind of transitioned. I started working with Magnum Research and BFR, so I do a lot of pistol stuff. But I oh, still nice. like to take my muzzleloader out a couple times a year. And I still longbow hunt a lot, so. I tried muzzleloader hunting once or twice, and that was the most frustrating goddamn thing I think I've ever <laughs> been part of. You know, as a shooter, you know, I was a shooter in the Marine Corps. You know, precision has always been, and God damn it, I'd take that muzzleloader out there, and oh, Jesus, I, I've i never been tell you frustrated what, shooting a gun. Yeah, there's so much, there's such a learning curve to it when you start. Like, man, I remember first year at Sasquatch Mountain Man, I'm up in Alaska. Well, I was, I was actually in northern BC, right on the border of Alaska. And I had a, I was grizzly bear hunting and moose hunting. And, you know, it's snowing slash raining all day. And I got my powder wet. Oh, yeah, I get perfect conditions yards. for muzzleloader hunting. Yeah. Yeah. I get 30 <laughs> yards from a big brown bear, or big oh, grizzly bear. Shit. And pull the trigger and it goes pop. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> you want to talk about shit your pants buddy like i you know i freaked out and trying to get caps on i had a capper there with me but i'm opening my caps because i just lost my head and i got a grizzly bear stands up right in front of me and i'm getting ready to come after me and luckily i got another cap on and the muzzleloader actually went off the second time but you think of the mountain man back in the day with them, you know, flintlocks. Oh, shit. You get water in that pan and you're screwed. Like, it ain't going off. No. <laughs> you know, no wonder they got <laughs> ate by grizzly bears all the time. And, <laughs> well, wonder, was like, no wonder the you... Native Americans use bows. <laughs> At least they, they know that's going to go off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever shoot one of those through a chronograph, like a 50, 54 caliber muzzleloader? Like, I shot a 54 through a chronograph, like, yeah. What, what the hell is that even going out the muzzle? With 110 grains of powder, I want to say it was going like 1,100. It's like shotgun velocities. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. but you're hitting them with a big, like, that was big, shooting a big, like, lead ball out of there? Or are you? Yep. Yeah? Yeah, just a 54 caliber round ball. Man, what's grain on that, do you think? 495. 495. On that one, and then I had some five, 565s, I think, that I used Jeez. too, but like a hell of a meat report when you hit something huh oh man and it flattens <laughs> out like a quarter oh shit <laughs> yeah round balls destroy stuff for sure you never shot a coyote with that did you i did 
No, she did. Almost blew the sucker in half. <laughs> uh, <laughs> did you, did you just, were you just driving around and saw hiking around, or did you like look no, squeak it in, it, or what? I called it in, and I called it in and shot it with a muzzleloader. No, it's like chest on. Did it check up and boom right in the or no? Outside? It turned. It, it turned, tur and I shot him right from the side. And I, I mean, it put a hole, a good three, four inch hole through that thing. The exit Jesus. hole. <laughs> it's like punch. It was like punching a. A fist right through him. Got a lot of sewing on that one, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't much left of that one. That's wild. It wasn't a very big coyote either. It was just <laughs> a little female, a little young female, and boy, yeah. it about ripped her in half. <laughs> so now that you moved back to Montana, you're getting after the wolves a little bit now, huh? Yeah. So I had the craziest experience this year. You know, I we got show season and all that stuff. So I don't have the time to go out and trap as much as I used to. And as much as I'd like to, and wolves are one of them animals. I mean, you got to have your traps out there. You got to, you know, be consistent and, you know, be able to have that time. And so, you know, I don't trap hardly any wolves anymore just because the time. Oh yeah. Um, but I got lucky. So this fall, I killed two wolves with a pistol, called them in to camp, wow. called them right into camp. I was filming, so I got that new survival show that it's like alone, but it's mountain man style. So it's me on my horse with a sleeping bag, my longbow, and I took a revolver this year. And that's all I took back in there. Well, my knife and hatchet, but yeah. that's all I took back in there. And uh, I called two, I called the whole pack in right to camp and uh, wound up getting two of them before they got out of camp. All right. So we got to back this up. I, so <laughs> like you're just sitting at camp, what, tanning some hide with the brain or? <laughs> i had actually just got i was up trying to glass for some elk i was trying to find some elk because i had an elk tag and uh and i was hungry i hadn't eaten any meat really i had caught some fish i was eating fish and mushrooms and it just i don't i mean i'm a big boy i need a little more than that so <laughs> yeah. i was up looking for elk i get back to camp and i mean it's right at dark i mean i probably had when i shot those wolves i probably had two minutes of daylight left you know and so I get back to camp and I start a fire and I hear this wolf sound off up the canyon about probably three quarters of a mile. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, well, hell, I start howling back and forth to him. The whole pack come in. I mean, they come in. Like how long did it take from the time you heard that very first howl to when you started howling back at him with your mouth? A minute and a half. They were there that quick. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. And the whole pack was howling, and I mean they were coming in to do some damage, right? So they okay, so you have wolf. the camera guys, the you have one or two couple camera guys with you. I was on my own. I didn't have so that show I filmed like alone. So I oh you film it by self film it. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. So I'm. I set a camera up. You know, I didn't get it. You can hear it like everything's audible. You can hear everything going on. But I mean, I was so fired up. I wasn't thinking about the camera. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so it's not, it's not pointed in the direction where the wolves came in, but you can hear the whole thing go on. I mean, you hear the wolves just, the whole pack goes crazy. And of course I'm upset because there was this big white alpha that was in the pack. Oh man. That I had to make a decision. I had two pups come in. They were, I mean, 60, 70 pound pups. Yeah. Yeah. They come in. And one of them's at like 20 yards and the other one's at like 25 and the rest of the pack is probably 50, 60 yards behind them. 
And so I had to make a decision. Like, I'm going to get busted by these pups. Do I just shoot these two wolves or do I try to wait for that alpha? So I just shot, you know, I, I'd rather have Start two dead. Laying them than, out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd rather have two dead than wait for the other one. So I shot two of them with my pistol and uh, the other wolves kind of run off. Well, that alpha circled camp all night long till four o'clock the next morning within 100 yards howling. And like, I'm sitting there, I'm trying to get a shot at it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because my horses are going crazy. I had two horses. They're going crazy. <laughs> I'm just sitting there drinking coffee by the campfire. Like, come on. Oh, <laughs> so when you whack that first one with the pistol, the other one just stand there. Like it didn't really know. No, what was going it, on. it took off running, but it was close enough that you just, I mean, it was a bang, bang. Nice. What kind of pistol, like just a revolver. It's a BFR. So yeah. Revolver. But a 500 JRH, I put a pretty good hole in both them. Oh, holes, damn. So the yeah, on that so, trip, I actually killed, so I killed those two wolves. Then like four days later, I killed a big old cinnamon bear. And then uh, I wound up killing a little bull elk all in that. I went in the back country for 32 days. No shit. Surviving off the land. <laughs> so the, uh, so I'm still, I'm still fascinated by this wolf story. Like how close were these wolves to the fire? Like they didn't even care. They were right there. They didn't care. I was back in the middle of the wilderness and you know, I don't think for one, they don't, nobody calls back there. Yeah. You know? And so I knew that because I used to guide back there and I knew them wolves. If you want to call wolves in the best place to go is back in those wilderness areas where people don't go. Yep. Yep. Because they just, they, they're not used to it. Virgin ears. Right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's, it's like calling coyotes, you know, in the middle of the wilderness somewhere. I mean, those coyotes are going to be a lot easier to call in. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing. And you know, so that whole, I mean, the whole pack, you could tell the, the older ones, I mean, then pups were probably six, eight months old. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so they were dumb enough. They come right in, you know, I had just got the fire started, so it's not up, but it's, I mean, it's going, I got horses right there for goodness sakes. <laughs> and they come, I mean, I held them right into camp. I did it three times, two other times. I held packs in packs of wolves right into camp. One time I had a wolf, he was right there. I could see him moving around in the brush. And then my horse started snorting at it. Oh, and, and he stopped and he left. He didn't like that. But I had the whole pack around me howling. Uh, and then another time they come in and they were, they didn't get within, you know, 250 yards and it was in the dark. But at three different times, I howled them right into camp. You think that was the same pack every time you think? No, it was a different no. pack. I went 200, I went 200 miles. Oh, you were moving. So yeah, you didn't have a base oh, yeah. camp set up. Nope. Oh, no. I was just, I was mountain manning it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I'm picturing alone, man, where you made this nice cabin and yeah. you know, you sat there for 30 days, just killing stuff. Yeah. That'd have been easier. <laughs> That'd <have> been easier. <laughs> so where is, is this show out? The the filming that you did, it, is it out yet or not yet? No, it'll, it'll air in July. It'll start airing in July. No kidding. What's that going to be channel? on? On outdoor? the outdoor channel. Oh, yep. nice. Yeah, it's What's... called The Trail. The Trail. Oh, I'll be fine. I'm going to check that out. That'll be cool. We all got firsthand knowledge to the to the episode you when you kill a couple wolves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, cra- it was one of the craziest trips I've ever had in my life. And I've done a lot of crazy stuff. But that trip was just, I mean, it was awesome. 
So for that show, what'd you do? What'd you end up doing with the wolves? Obviously, then you probably filmed you skinning them and doing, you know, obviously that kind of stuff. I actually ate wolf. No kidding. Yeah, I cooked up wolf hindquarter over the fire. I hadn't had any red meat in like two weeks. Oh, I'm sure that was plenty red. Oh, it was plenty red. Believe it or not, (laughs) it didn't taste bad. It was just so tough. I mean, you'd have to slow cook that thing for hours to make it like actual, actually edible. (laughs) <laughs> it didn't have any no distinct weirdness flavor to it nope. or nothing you know nope didn't taste like the kung pao chicken from down there at the chinese <laughs> restaurant <laughs> yeah hey that's cat oh that's cat sorry <laughs> <laughs> didn't taste didn't taste like the uh beef and broccoli though. yeah beef and broccoli <laughs> <laughs> uh, so did you did you make anything out of those wolf pelts during that show when you're I have them right now. I I salted them real good when I got out. Um I just flushed them real good back there. Um and then I salted them real good and I'm going to pan them this spring and I don't know I'm I'll make something out of them. I, I don't know, we'll see. They're both yeah. black silver silver tip black ones, so pretty high. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. That's on my bucket list, man. I've been I've been up to Idaho a few times chasing wolves and that's I just never had the time, you know, you know, it. that was some bitches are needle and haystack out there finding them. If you don't have the time to really spend, it's honestly, it's the hardest animal in North America to kill, in my opinion, hands down. You know, there's some places you can go where they bait them out on the big lakes and stuff where it's a little easier and they don't see people as much. But, you know, I've gotten to where I've called in a lot of wolves over the years, you know, for clients that could be out elk hunting, they'll start howling. And wolves will not react to a call like a coyote. You know, they don't, like, you go out and try to do your predator call, you know, get your Fox Pro or whatever you use and go out and try to do that with wolves. They're too smart. Yeah, you're you know, talking they, about, like, blowing, like, a rabbit in distress and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, the only way I've found that they come in, there for a while, there's a lot of guys, me included, when I had my outfitting business, we'd go out and, you know, I'd use hound dog sounds. I'd record my hounds at yeah, a tree that. Yep. and I'd use that and that worked for a little bit, but even now they're, you know, they're getting wise of that. Um, howling is still, if you can learn to howl back and forth with them and throw in a little like pup distress when you're howling, man, I've, I mean, I've called in a lot of wolves. I've called them in for clients. I've had clients miss them. I've had clients kill them, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. that's the only way. I mean, I've had, I've called wolves right in, you know, 30 yards numerous times just howling so that's a unique thing you know i've had guys on here several times just specifically talking about wolf hunting and, and the variations of wolf hunting and trying to call wolves and stuff and there's to me there's a lot of similarities to the coyote thing is that you know they they do get smart but once again you know back to your situation is every year there's a whole crop of new new wolves new coyotes that haven't heard shit yep you know so i always I, i'm always wondering with is there a difference though because coyotes are more of a a solitary animal yeah they do group up they do have pairs and they have family groups and things from time to time but where wolves are 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 primarily a pack animal are they able to pass that knowledge down somehow so here's what i'll tell yeah here's what i'll tell you in what i've seen is because they have that pack mentality they've learned so much faster you know trapping for instance if you go out there and you set a trap line and you, anybody who traps wolves will tell you this exact same thing. If you can catch that alpha, you can catch the whole pack. If you don't catch that alpha and you catch a sub-adult or, you know, one of the omegas first, you won't catch another wolf out of that pack. 
They're smart they enough learn. to get the hell out of there. Yep. Well, and they learn that alpha learns and he'll teach. But if you take that alpha away, the rest of the pack, they're dumb. They're stupid. Like they'll lose their mind for a little while. You know, I know guys, I've never done it, but I know guys that, you know, all they do is trap wolves and they'll literally go in and they'll, they'll catch a pack of six or seven wolves at one trip, you know, the same day because they catch that alpha first and the rest of the pack just comes in circles. And so if you have traps set up around there, you can catch yeah, you the whole pack. Nail them all. Yeah. But if that alpha sees you catch a different one, he'll learn that pack. And I, I mean, you won't, You'll play hell catching any of those wolves. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. You know, they learn. To me, that's where it's at, though, man. That's like the challenge. Like it's mm-hmm. predator versus predator kind of a you know relationship. I just, god damn, that's that's the well, that's challenge. Why I, I love like. predator hunting so much is because of that challenge. I mean, let's face it, predators are the hardest animals to kill in the wild. You know, bears are different but you know your mountain lions your wolves you know your coyotes your bobcats your animals like that they're the toughest you know that's the reason we have to use dogs and we use calls and we use stuff like that because they i mean they're smart it's a rough world for a predator out there i just caught a big tom the other day and that poor sucker had four inches of elk brow time buried in his face and jeez I mean, he's a 175 pound tom giant tom and he had killed two elk and he's had that elk horn in his face for a long time i mean you could tell it was <laughs> it wasn't pussing it was already healed and it just grew around the elk brow time i mean shoved in his face into the skull mm-hmm. dude that'd be like the most badass european mount wouldn't it like oh I, that that was what I was thinking. He was sitting there in the tree, and the tom quota is close, so I couldn't shoot him. Oh damn! Like you lucky sucker, because like <laughs> he would have been the coolest European. That's a, my exact. Oh yeah. I'm, I mean, you could see it sticking out about an inch or two out of his skin, but you know, it's for it to break off like that. It's buried in. There. Oh yeah, way into his nasal cavity, probably mm-hmm. down through there. Oh man, yeah, that yep. would been sweet. <laughs> i mean but you look at those predators and they they have to be like that they have to learn and be that smart to survive otherwise they're going to starve to death i mean look how much time we put into elk and deer hunting oh yeah we put a lot of time into that as as you know hunters well they have to perfect it it's something i mean mountain lions they got to kill a deer or an elk a week to survive I mean, that's pretty, you know, and to be able to learn and get that smart, I mean, that's why they're so tough to kill. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm partial, but to me, that's where it's at, man. That's where it's at. So let's move into the lion hunting a little bit. I know you you said you do that a lot. Obviously, you love the dog work. Uh, I've been doing that for a long time. What, what, What did your lion season look like this year? This year was fun. You know, I didn't. I filmed a little bit of it. I mean, I'm always filming, but I got to take my wife out. She killed her first Tom this year. Really nice Tom. Nice. Um, I didn't get to go as much as I, you know, normally do, but I still, I mean, I caught a lot of cats. I think I caught, I don't know, 16, 17 cats this year. And oh, wow. um, it's season's still on right now and being it's snowing today, I might be going out in the morning, but um, it was 
it was a fun year. I it started off rough. I turned loose first time I turned loose. I've got an old dog that people that follow me they know him like I mean he's a character. He's he's 13 years old. His name's Kimber, and uh, he's just awesome. I mean he's been on a ton of cat trees and well he got a female and two sub adults in a culvert Ooh. and got inside that culvert. Damn. Boy he got he got tore up. And, uh, he just not as young as he used to be. He used to be able to get in there and get out, but now he's getting old enough to where he's lost that step and yeah, he got <laughs> tore up pretty good. So that was the first time I turned loose this, uh, winter that happened. So it started off rough, but we got her all lined out and all the dogs are doing good and, you know, had a blast. Are, are you mostly you're just usually waiting, waiting for the snow? You do a lot of dry running them on dry ground or does it really matter? I do it on both, you know, the 90% of your cat hunters couldn't catch a cat. If it was, if there's no snow, you know, 90% of guys that go out and do it for fun. Um, I love the challenge of no snow and obviously it's a lot more on your dogs then. So you got to have, I'm lucky I've had dogs for years and, you know, I've got good friends that have good dogs. So that helps. Um, but yeah, I mean, snow is the best way you get snow and obviously you can see the track. You can tell exactly what it is. Um, you're not turning loose on an animal that you don't want to catch, Yeah, yeah. you know, that kind of deal. But I love dry ground. Like that's why I was down in New Mexico. I go down to that New Mexico country and, uh, I've gone to Arizona a few times just cause that dry ground is, it's a whole different atmosphere. You know, hunting in the snow has its troubles. You know, you get ice and stuff like that can be really tough, but that dry ground, you know, you're relying more on your dogs and your knowledge of how cats move. You know, it takes a lot better houndsmen, in my opinion, to go down and catch stuff on dry ground just because, you know, you have to put those dogs in the right position. Oh, and so, you know, that's always fun. Do, do those cats travel like, if you took your average treeing distance, you know, is, is there a correlation there to dry ground as far as how far the, or is it just really, is that just a variant of how far the cat is when you turn the dogs loose? Um, there's a or lot they of tree quicker there, in the but, snow usually or not. Yeah. Because they can't, you know, it's, it's harder for them to run in the snow. And, um, you know, I find that you get down in that country and those cats, uh, they jump a lot more. You know, you don't have your big trees in that dry ground country that you run a lot. Um, so typically they run more. Like I had a female down there in New Mexico that, I mean, she ran, I think my dogs went 29 miles the one day. And we had her caught at 10 o'clock in the morning. But she just kept jumping and kept, you know, bluffing the dogs out. And she'd get up on rocks and she'd <laughs> bay up on the ground. And, you know, she was just a running sucker. You know, you rarely ever see that up here in Montana. Granted, we got the wolves and those cats know they'll jump right in a tree or they'll run like crazy. But, you know, we don't get jumpers like that as much. Yeah, that's that's something. So the dry ground thing's intriguing to me because, you know, obviously in snow, you know exactly what cat usually you're turning loose on. You know, dry ground, I mean, is that more of a, I don't know, something like guys that just love to do it. You just want to let your dogs work. I mean, or, or when you let them out on dry ground, I mean, you don't know, you could tree a female, you could tree, like you said, a, a, a female with a couple of juveniles. It could be the big male. You don't really know what you're going to tree. 
is it, so is it more of just hey let's let the dogs do some work kind of dry ground hunting yeah so you know dry ground you have you know you, a lot of the guys that are good and successful at dry ground they know the cats they know how the cats move they've been doing it for a while or they've learned from others you know because mountain lions have tendencies you know there's certain areas that they'll frequent you know you you can find a ridge or a crossing and different cats will cross the same areas because they hunt the same they have the same instincts you know and so you take your dogs over there on dry ground and you know you rode them or you walk them down canyons or you walk them down ridges where cats like to frequent and you know and that's how those guys get real successful is because you know cats move a lot we did this big study in montana or montana did this big study and they found out that your females, like your big toms move the least. You know, they roam the smallest area huh. because they don't have to. Your young toms move the most. I mean, they go and they'll travel like you've heard the stories. I mean, they, they turned one loose there in, in Montana and it made it all the way over to the Black Hills. And you got, you know, going down to Colorado. Yeah, you know, yeah. So they travel because they're getting kicked out. I mean, and it makes yeah. sense. You know, yep, a young yep. Tom, he's trying to find his area. Yep. But they found that females actually move a lot for the most part. You know, they'll roam a big area, um, you know, and it, they, they it's not like they relocate, but they'll have a, you know, 60 square mile area that they roam. You know, and that was really intriguing to me because all growing up, you think that, you know, your Toms roam the most and, you know, your, your big Toms, especially, you would think, because you'd find... You go out cat hunting, you'll find a big tom track, and then, you know, it might be three weeks later, and you'll find him back in there. Well, the reason he doesn't have to move that much, he goes and he kills, and he'll he'll kill something, he'll lay up on it, unless he's looking for a female. He's like your lazy house cat. He goes and lays <laughs> up and suns, and yeah, you know, yeah, he's living the highlight. <laughs> you know, so that was all interesting to me. That is, that is. So when you when what would you say the the percentage of treed cats that you actually shoot is it pretty low? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at this year, we killed two cats. I treat 17 so far. And is a lot of that just because like you said, the quota has already been filled. You can't shoot it or you're looking for a big Tom and, and it's a female vice, you know, whatever that may be. Yeah. I mean, you know, every state's different. You look at Colorado and you know, they have a whole quota same way with New Mexico. You know, you can kill so many cats and you know, well, Colorado has the quota to where if you kill a female or it used to be this way, I don't know if it still is if you kill a female, it takes two off the quota. And, you know, so you get a lot of people, a lot of your cat hunters, you know, you want to kill mature stuff, but then you come up to Montana and we have a separate quota for Tom's and a separate quota for females, you know? And so if the Tom's quota is full and you fit, you know, you tree a Tom, you let him walk. Yeah. You know, and I like to, me personally, because I'm not guiding anymore, I let a ton of cats walk. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Do you ever just, do you ever go out with the goal of, I'm not even going to shoot, I don't even take a damn gun with me. Maybe you probably still I do. I mean, I always but, have a pistol on my yeah, hip, but. But there's like, the goal. I, I don't, we're not killing anything today. We're just going to let the dogs work. Yeah, I do that a lot. You know, especially the quotas will fill up and I'll still go run. You know, but I, I've gotten to the point where unless it's a giant Tom, like I, I don't need to kill it. I've killed enough critters in my life and enough cats in my life. You know, I like seeing, you know, we have too many cats 
we have a ton of cats around. And so, you know, we need to manage them. So I like helping younger guys or, you know, people that haven't killed cats or stuff like that, you know, and I don't mind what they shoot as long as the quota is there. You know, you got some guys that, oh, we can't kill females and, oh, we can't kill this. And, and to a point, yeah, but we have so many cats. Like you look, you know, the big thing going on in Utah right now, you know, opening up cat season. Well, it's a double-edged sword. You know, you got a lot of people that are ticked off and think it's just going to destroy the cats. And no, it's not. <laughs> you know, those cats. Oh, yeah. The season might as well be wide open. You're going to be trying to dry ground cats in the summer. Like, nobody's going to do that. You're going to get your dogs killed <laughs> yeah. because your dog's going to die because of, you know, dehydration or whatever. Like, you're not going to kill enough. You're not, you're not going to wipe the cats out. You know, and if you want better elk and deer herds, you got to kill your predators. You know, and cats are a big part of that in that part of the country. You know, cats and bears. So I can see the pros to opening it up but then me as a cat hunter and a conservationist it's a slippery slope so i look at it and i'm like i don't know if that's the right thing but new mexico and arizona do it and they're just fine you kill yeah. cats all down there all the time new mexico's quotas are so big rarely ever do they feel you know it's, so it's that's a huge talking point right now though yeah yeah I, I see it the same way, like, okay, yeah, killing a few females off. I mean, a majority of the cat hunters are kind of the old school mentality that we're not going to shoot the females anyway. So the few that do yep. do it, is it like, is it, is it really going to probably affect it? Nah, I mean, you got to kill everything off a little bit, you know? Well, yeah, it's just like shooting does or, you know, it, if there's enough food there for the critters, then yeah, leave the, leave the females, leave the does. But if you're losing food source, Guess what? Your females is what you need to kill to lower the population. You can kill all the toms you want, but guess what? One tom can breed a lot of females. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just like, you know, it's like <laughs> deer and elk. You look at Texas guys and, you know, they've figured out management down there. They figured out, you know, you need to shoot so many does and whatever for your food source. It's all about food source. And, you know, the same management should go into predators. You look at Colorado and the number of bears in the state of Colorado. Yeah, they've opened it up to where if you buy an elk or a deer tag, you can get bear tags and this stuff. But bears have destroyed it. It's nothing else. It's black bears have destroyed the deer and elk populations in Colorado. You know, where I grew up down there used to be one of the highest density elk populations anywhere. You can't hardly find elk unless it's on private ground down there. You want to know why? Because for one, it's been overhunted. But for two... There's so many bears. Last time I hunted two years ago down there, I'm sitting as the sun comes up, glassing for elk, and I spot nine black bears. Oh, nine. <laughs> like when you have that many bears, they you know they did that study. A bear in in the spring when elk and deer are calving and fawning, one bear will kill thirty to forty fawns. Fawns yeah, or calves. I mean, you think of that. Yeah, that's that destroys that's a lot. your population. Like in Montana right now, we're struggling because it's bears, mountain lions, and wolves. You know, wolves honestly don't kill as much as people think, but they harass a lot. You know, and they'll take over mountain lion kills, and then mountain lions have to kill more. And but bears are the number one predator because of what they do to the calf and fawn rate. 
we have like a six or seven percent survival rate in in western montana right now for elk and deer how are you supposed to you know keep and it's because of predators that's it's weird to me because if you compare those three wolves mountain lions and bears you think okay these black bears are like the biggest clumsiest slowest of the three how are they being how are they that much more successful is it because they're because they, they more specifically go after their nose they're the only animal that can smell a fawn or a calf in the first two weeks of its life no shit and so that's where that's where they're doing it's not that they're taking down full-grown critters no, they're killing yeah, yeah. calves and fawns because they're finding them in the grass because they're the only thing that can smell them. Huh. Like when I'm spring bear hunting, I follow the elk herds around. You'll find big boars because then big boars will come in and they eat the elk calves. I did not know that, that they could smell them quicker than, you know, wolves and lions. I knew lions probably didn't use their nose a whole lot probably compared to the bear or the wolf, but. Yeah, lions are more <laughs> eyesight. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, yeah, that's that's unique. I don't know. Well, it's crazy. And you know, to me, it's common sense. You look at it and you look at all the studies and everything that people do, but you have so many special interests and so much stuff like that that I mean, when you have predators, you know, like us, we're predator guys. We love to hunt predators. Like you have to manage that. Like, you know, all these states that are trying to, you know, cut back on bear tags and stuff like that, like Colorado should give anybody who buys a tag, you should give them a bear or or make it to where they can use that tag on a bear. Do something, do like Idaho does. You know, because otherwise, I mean, you're going to lose so much revenue for one. We don't have the numbers of ungulates that we used to to be able to hunt. Well, yeah. Like, I would think some guy that, ha you know, has been out to Colorado elk hunting for the last 10 years straight, he shot a handful of elk and all of a sudden he said, Hey, here you go. You can have a bear tag. Now he would probably be more thrilled about shooting a damn black bear than he would a, an elk. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And that's a, you know, you had to draw for a long time in Colorado. I mean, look, growing up where I grew up was the mule deer Mecca of the world. Oh yeah. When I grew yeah, up in was. the Dolores triangle. Yeah. I've killed some giant mule deer. You don't see those anymore. And people think like, there's a lot of reasons. I mean, you got people moving in and, you know, they're getting disrupted, their their migration patterns, and you got all that stuff. But the number one thing is predators. We don't have the numbers. You know, and, you know, you get a lot to get hit on the road. But you still, you don't have the numbers. So that tells me you either give less tags, which they, they've started doing that, but that's not going to help because you still got the predator numbers. You haven't yeah. managed your predators properly in the last 20 years. It's a problem. It's like the wolves up north. It took them 20 years to get to where, oh, we better manage these things because they're eating, <laughs> you know, they're they're chasing all our elk and deer around in the winter and making them abort their, you know, fawns and calves. And they're not calving, not having fawns. We're not having, you know, a good, uh, you know, success on our calving rate. Do something about it. <laughs> Well, they must have all the science because, you know, they're like, you know what? Bears aren't causing that much problem. Let's add wolves into the equation now in Colorado. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, Ding dong. I'm so glad I don't live in Colorado anymore. <laughs> that's going to be a nightmare. Uh, that's crazy. And, you know, it's funny because one of the places they're going to release, though, so is is the area I used to 
run the outfitting business. Anymore. Oh, shit. So in Gunnison, yeah, in Taylor Park, Colorado is one place where they're going to release the wolves, which is crazy to me because it's a huge tourist attraction. I mean, you got it's like one of the number top three places in the world to go dirt bike and uh, ATV ride. And you're going to go turn a bunch of wolves in there. The, <laughs> the moose population is finally great. You're going to turn a bunch of wolves in there. There ain't going to be no elk or moose left. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> well, I'm, I mean, I'm not a big elk moose guy. So I guess I'm, I'm, I'm for the elk wolves just so now maybe they come up in Nebraska and I can start shooting them up here, you know, at some point, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So with the lion stuff, what's your, what's your favorite weapon to use? blast these lions out of the tree you 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 like Man, more longbow killed, or you shot them with about everything i've shot them with about everything but honestly a small caliber man just like a, a 204 used to be my favorite honestly you know because cats if you hit them right they die it, quick yeah yeah you know so small, i mean can you like stone them like a like up on the branch, can you like when you shoot a coyote chest on, you know, and it just, and it just I mean, can you hit a cat up in the branch where oh, it yeah. just like and they just they're dead before yeah, they you high to the you high shoulder shoot them or you know shoot them straight on, yeah, you usually stones them and they're done. So velocity, so velocity is kind of the what will yeah, devastate like smaller bullet. It. I like to zip it right through them because you know bow hunting's catch. You know, it, it can get dangerous with your dogs just because that cat gets on the ground. You got to turn your dogs loose and you got a broad head sticking out. Um, so when I was guiding a lot, I was always selective on, you know, some <laughs> people I wouldn't let shoot a bow at. But, uh, you know, I've killed a bunch of actually, you know, they die faster with a bow half the time than, you know, unless you stone them. But I carry a little um pack trapper rifle that folds up it's a 22 mag you know it does great for them you know but smaller calibers you get a bigger caliber and i mean it'll blow a hole in a cat just because their hide is so stretchy you'll blow a pretty big hole in them yeah and most of the time i guess guys are probably wanting to mount them you know so yeah. yeah you don't want to do that huh ever shot one with a shotgun does anybody even shoot them out? Can can you? Is that even legal to blast them out of the tree with a shotgun? Like throw some four buck in there, some BB or something so, like yeah. a coyote load. About I mean, what what are we talking like twenty yard shots, right? Yeah, at yeah. most. At the yeah. most, I think shotgun would be. I don't know, that would devastate. I had a buddy shoot him up. in the face with a four ten. <laughs> out the wind, out the window of his house. I was staying over at his house and. <laughs> Uh, these coons had been coming up and getting his dog food and stuff like that. So he asked me to bring some traps over. So I go over and I set these live traps for these coons to catch them. And um, he calls me up one morning, like three 30 in the morning. He's like, dude, you won't believe what just happened. I'm like what? <laughs> I guess the, he had caught the coons. There was a family of coons in there and this mountain lion come up on his deck and is sitting there spinning the coon trap. You know, it's just a colonial life trap sitting there spinning it around trying to get them coons out of it and then turned and saw his dog inside and was walking towards his dog at his bedroom. And he shot it with one of them judges oh, no, judge through the screen. Oh, shit. And it didn't. It, that cat lived and it didn't even hardly. But he shot at it. I mean, five feet. But didn't even kill it. Nope. <laughs> no, yeah. What did he just I have like some bird so shot in there or something? 
well he hit it but it didn't like it didn't penetrate yeah it was just one of them 410 self-defense loads yeah yeah and uh the cat i mean it ran off and bled just a little bit and was gone <laughs> never did find it <laughs> oh, that's wild yeah <clears throat> so before i get you off here i gotta hear it you got you got some crazy mountain lion story for me most of these guys that run dogs have some wild ass story of something that crazy happened Man, you I might got, have more than one but i got all kinds of crazy ones i had i had a cat in a culvert one of the craziest probably you know i've had him jump out like over the top of me i've had to run in while you know they're fighting dogs and literally point blank put the gun on the cat and shoot them because the dogs are all around you know i've had Lots of crazy stuff like that. But one of the craziest probably was got this cat in a culvert one time and man, it wouldn't get out of the culvert and I was trying to get it out. So we get it a culvert a just underneath like a, a trail of underneath the highway. road or the highway. <laughs> yeah. It was like, a, I mean, it's a, a bigger culvert. I couldn't, I couldn't stand up all the way in it. So it was probably a 48 inch culvert, but I got dogs on both sides and I climb in and pull the dogs out the the shorter side hoping that cat's gonna run out the culvert and i go it doesn't so i climb in and i grab my other dogs off cat still stays in the culvert so i get this bright idea i'm gonna go push it out of the culvert with a stick <laughs> that wasn't a very bright idea that cat come up the culvert or come up the stick and latched onto my leg and i had to shoot it inside the culvert point blank my ears like bled because oh, it was so loud i had a 44 mag and it, I mean, my ears were bleeding. I couldn't hear, you know, I had to shoot this cat. He had hold of my ankle. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, getting here, did, was, did you have your boot was up high enough where you kind of just, yeah, got, yeah, he didn't, he didn't get through it, but that was a little questionable. I mean, <laughs> I've had all kinds. I mean, I've had them. I mean, I got 17 stitches right here from getting caught by a claw, dew claw. But did you see the one? So the other day I saw something on Instagram. Somebody sent it to me. This guy, they bathed this cat up on the ground and this kid got too close to it. And the cat jumped on him and I mean, had his face all slit up. Yeah. I saw a picture of that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you get in that situation. Oh. Like I've, I've gotten in a lot of hairy. I've gotten in more hairy bear stuff than cats, but man, I don't know how you get <laughs> that's just not being smart yeah yeah that's a little careless maybe who knows yeah <laughs> out there doing western shit you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's a little more cowboy shit than i want to get into yeah yeah <laughs> i mean when i was younger we used to do some really stupid stuff like rope them out of trees and but oh yeah <laughs> yeah we won't like we get into that stuff <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, it's it's been a pleasure having you on, man. Um, it's been fun talking with you yeah. about all this stuff, a lot of unique things. I, you know, predator world stuff we don't usually talk about, but uh, you know, it's been great. If anybody's anybody's wanting to catch up with you, find out what you're doing with your shows and things like that, where's the, where's the best place for them to find out uh, where to find you? Well, social media is the best for anything. You, you know, Facebook, Instagram. Believe it or not, Mountain Man's even got a TikTok. Ooh. Just uh, look up. You ain't doing those yeah, little let, dances, are you? Well, my wife does it, so oh. I've <laughs> let her do most of it. Um, but it's Laramie Sasquatch Miller nice, on all nice. platforms. So, 
and you said the trail that's the that's the show coming out on that outdoor channel where you self-filmed yourself yep yep uh, the trail will come out in july um i'll be posting stuff to youtube uh, a new episode every couple weeks um and then i'll start doing every week once i get a good backload but um nice. for now that's that's the plan yeah you said you're, good, you're doing some filming with the uh, rolling from alone with doing some stuff with case yes, knives and things. Some... is that something coming out too yeah, so I got my own line. I got, well, I designed two different knives that are going to come out, um, and they'll come out in July as well. Um, I designed them in collaboration with Case Knives, and so did Roland. So me and Roland both have our signature series knives coming out, and we're filming some commercial stuff with them and stuff like that next week. So, Excellent. Excellent. And then you have a website too, right? Yep, LaramieMiller.com. Excellent, man. Well, good. Hopefully everybody goes, checks it out, man. This mountain man stuff. I mean, it, anybody that's a hunter at heart, I mean, that's, you know, that's what shits, that's what dreams hey, are made yeah. of, right? Everybody's dreams of, oh, I'm going to go out there and rough it. And, you know, yeah. not many of us ever do it, everybody but wants we all to dream be Jeremiah about it. Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Everybody wants to be Jeremiah Johnson. <laughs> I know I do. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me on. It was fun. Yeah, man. I appreciate you taking the time and I appreciate everybody tuning in to listen. Um, obviously it's you guys that are listening to this, that makes this the number one predator hunting podcast out there. Uh, so we couldn't do it with you guys or without you guys. So appreciate you listening. If you're looking for any, any more information about myself, the easiest way to do that is just go to my website, which is coyotecraze.com. You can find uh, links to the YouTube series, um, podcast, upcoming coyote schools, everything like that. And of course we can't do this without the sponsors. So got to thank them. Silencer central, lucky duck, predator calls, swagger bipods, black rifle, coffee company, onyx hunt, six hour optics, Hornady and cryptech. And then of course the entire Eastman's brand for bringing this all to you guys. Got to give them a big thanks to check out uh, everything they got going on at eastmans.com. So until next time, Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you right here on the Eastman's Predator Pros podcast.